That was amazing. I wonder, what do you feel when you see those images, when you hear those lyrics? Our hope is that you have a sense of the beauty of God, the Creator, and how in the midst of this vast universe, He still knows you and loves you. If we could live in that space, aware of how big He is and how much He is for us, how different everything would be, but that's not usually how we live. Even seeing images like that, even hearing lyrics like that, your mind might have wandered. Or even if you have a moment where you feel that connection, that love from God, then you go to work, you go home, things go back to the normal. See, what happens is we get caught up in our own world. A few weeks ago, John Burke said it this way, we take ourselves and our problems too seriously and we don't take God and his promises seriously enough. And so in this series, we're trying to remove all the filters, all the ways that we see the world, the, the misperceptions we have about ourselves and about others, and to actually have an experience like those perfect pictures on Instagram are the ones that have hashtag no filter. This was just so beautiful, I didn't even have to doctor it up. What if we lived life without a filter, just as beautiful as intended? There are these memes going around the internet. The internet's so fun, if you stay in the right places. But what you think you look like versus what you actually look like. Have you seen these? Here's the first one. How you think you look while you're sleeping, but that's how you really look. Or how about this one? How you think you look when you cry, but how you actually look. <laughs> or the next one. What you think you look like when your hair is wet, but that's what you really look like. <laughs> we have misperceptions of ourselves. We see ourselves either better than we truly are, or some of us actually see ourselves worse than we really are. But in both cases, we're thinking about ourselves, either too highly or too lowly. Psychologists have observed a pattern in human behavior they've come to call fundamental attribution error. I found this fascinating. See, as humans, we tend to attribute other people's actions to their character rather than their external circumstances. So when you get cut off in traffic, you get angry. That guy is such a jerk. However, we tend to attribute our actions to external circumstances and not to our character. So when we cut off someone in traffic, it's not our fault, it's because we're late to work. And I think it's through this filter that so much gets messed up in our lives. See, a blind spot, have you ever been driving and unintentionally almost run into someone because they were in your blind spot? Have you ever been in a wreck because someone was in your blind spot? See, that's actually how we live our life if we're not careful. We go around with these blind spots and we're running into each other, unintentionally hurting each other, completely unaware of the damage that we're doing. See, we're hardwired to give ourselves excuses, which creates the perfect breeding ground for blind spots in the way we see ourselves. But Jesus gives us an antidote to this. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your body is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
See, having healthy eyes can light things up. Unhealthy eyes keep us in the shadows, keep us in the dark. We all have blind spots. Research studies have pegged it at 3.4 blind spots per person. And you're thinking, well, that's not me. (laughs) I don't have any blind spots. You have a blind spot. That's why they're called blind spots. We don't know we have them. But the people around us do. There are places that we have overlooked or chosen to ignore the truth about ourselves, and it's hidden to us but obvious to everyone else. Maybe some of these examples might resonate. Maybe you're a sarcastic person and you think it's just your way of lightening the mood, but you haven't realized the edge that comes with the jokes. You're just having fun, but you're wounding everyone around you and no one knows how to talk to you about it. Or, or maybe what began as a strong work ethic has progressed over time into workaholism and you push yourself hard, but what you don't realize, you're pushing the people around you hard as well. And people don't like to work with you and your family struggles not knowing how to help you, feeling that pressure that you've imposed on them. Or maybe your tendency is to keep the peace. You avoid conflict at all costs, which has actually created a toxic environment because you're unwilling to deal with what's actually happening. But the beauty is, no matter what your blind spot might be, God can see clearly. God has 20-20 vision. The Bible paints a picture of a God who sees things as they are and he is fully attuned to reality, the truth about things, the truth about you and me. Listen to what the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 4. Before God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. His vision is uncluttered by pride or insecurity. He sees. Instead of a life spent crashing into things hiding in our blind spot, God is actually offering us a chance to open our eyes, to see things as they truly are, to get out of the darkness, to live in the light. But unfortunately, we have resistance to this. Either we don't trust God. We've attributed things that others have done to him and the things that he's allowed. He's allowed in our lives. And so we struggle to trust him. And so we don't want to let God tell us the truth. We don't want to hear what he has to say. And even that passage, when I read Hebrews 4, it is not something that brings comfort, but actually makes you upset or frustrated. But when you realize the, the one who sees clearly is actually a one who loves, that his character is one of goodness and grace, it can begin to change things. For others of us, our resistance is are obvious because we get defensive and angry when the truth is revealed to us. And we'd rather stay in denial and make excuses. We run from the truth because we don't really want to see it. But listen to this passage in John 3. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See, we don't want to acknowledge where we're at because it is humbling. It's humiliating. When we're suddenly confronted with an unseen or unwanted reality, we're ashamed. We're humbled. But when we're content to live with blind spots, we're setting ourselves to be humiliated. And God gives us a better way out. Rather than being humbled or being humiliated, we could simply learn to humble ourselves. 
It's what the scripture calls us to do. It's another option that leads to hope. James 4 says it this way, humble yourselves before the Lord. See, we could select a path that inclines us towards the truth about ourselves. See, true humility is this, right-sizing your self-perception according to God's truth. See, pride and insecurity are simply two sides of the same coin, self-obsession that distorts the truth. Each is a way of insulating ourselves from the truth. So why is it that we're so afraid of the truth? I think deep down there's a fear that if the truth is known, that we will no longer be wanted, we will no longer be loved. That if I'm the real me, no one will want to be with me. See, we say here, no perfect people allowed. And we mean that. And Philip joked earlier that if you are a perfect person, you are still even welcome. Because come as you are trumps no perfect people allowed. But what that really means is no perfect people allowed means you will find freedom when you're honest with where you're at with your struggles, with your doubts. There's no need to pretend to be someone that you're not. See, some of us grew up in the context, a religious context, where we had to act a certain way to feel accepted, to belong. And what we're saying is, actually, that stunts your growth. When you are trying to please other people and put on a persona, it actually keeps you stuck. But when you're open and honest with where you're at, it gives you the freedom to move forward. And the beautiful thing is, in the midst of a fear of being rejected, there's a God who already knows who we are, and yet He still loves us. James 4, 6. The same passage where He tells us to humble ourselves, He goes on to say, but God gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. When we humble ourselves, we are in a position to receive God's favor, His grace. Grace is undeserved love. But it takes courage to humble ourselves, doesn't it? It takes courage to humbly live in the truth. I have good news and bad news. Which do you want to know first? All right, there's too much of a mix. I'm just going to give it to you. Yes, you are deeply flawed, more than you think. I decided to start with the bad news. But here's the great news. You are deeply loved far more than you realize. That's the human condition. Are we willing to acknowledge that we are flawed, that we need help? to the one who is there to help us. I want to just read a few passages, and, and, and my hope is that it just kind of saturates your mind, that it fills your mind with hope of who God really is and who you really are to Him. And by the way, every time, every Sunday, no matter who's speaking, we put the notes from the message on our Gateway South Facebook group page. So you can go back and reread these passages. But just... Soak this in. Just listen to this. God, Romans 5, proves his love for us and that while we were stuck, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our brokenness and frailty and even intentional evil choices, God still chooses you. 
and demonstrates his love for you and the fact that he gave his life for us. Or Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No blind spot, no exposed truth about our flaws will separate you from God's love. Nothing makes you unlovable to Him. You can run as far away as you can and He's right there behind you. All we must do is just turn and there He is. Or in 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. See, some of us grew up in a context where we're afraid of God. And, and there's a certain level of awe to God, a respect for God. But some of us are, are interpreting God through the lens of our parents. I've shared too many times about my relationship with my father. And we're in a great place now. He's 70 and I'm 45. And so it took a while to get there. But when, when I was about 10, 11 years old, and I've shared this before, but he thought I was too old to hug goodnight. So he wanted a handshake instead. <laughs> Good night, Father. <laughs> you know. <laughs> this was the 1980s, not the 1880s. <laughs> and, and it progressed from there. Our biggest fight, where we almost literally went to blows, was when I didn't cut my hair. I had long hair in high school. Yes, it's true. <laughs> I've not always been this way. <laughs> and if my dad had only known what was to come, maybe he would have let me grow out my hair for those few <laughs> short years. Now, another time we got into a, a massive fight because it was the night before the rehearsal dinner and I had not checked in. I hadn't lived at home in four years. I didn't know I needed to check in and they were awake when I got home at 11 o'clock at night. And they usually fell asleep at about 8 o'clock while watching Matlock. So I knew this was a bad <laughs> sign that they were still awake. And in the midst of that, I was just so angry, so mad at my father. And, and you see, my dad was raised by a man who showed even less affection than what I just described. And he was raised by a man who showed even less affection than, than that. And so my filter, my view of God, of a father, was angry that never lived up. And here's what's interesting. My dad was an air traffic controller. It's one of the most stressful jobs on the planet. In fact, during his shift, he happened to be off. We were off on vacation. But during his shift was when a Delta flight crashed at DFW. And that's when we discovered wind shear. But for a while, they were blaming his colleagues for the deaths of 300-something people. See, when you and I mess up at work, it's annoying. People get upset. When he would mess up at work, it could kill people. So I was being raised by a man who was so stressed out. And now to see him retired, to see this different version of my dad, I'm actually seeing a glimpse of, of the Heavenly Father through my dad. Now, he hugs me too much. It's, it's all right, Dad. It's okay. You don't have to make up for lost time. It's all right. We're good. 
But see, some of us have struggled to believe in a loving father because you didn't have a loving father. And some of us have rejected God, but it's actually a misperception of God. We're rejecting a God that doesn't exist. The God who exists created you on purpose and with purpose. He puts you at the exact time and the exact place that gives you the best opportunity to find him and his love for you. What if, rather than fearing God's punishment, we began to relish and enjoy his love for us? And that we began to see his love is so real and, and so trustworthy that, that when he rebukes us, when he disciplines us, we see it as loving, guiding us into the right path to keep us where he wants us to be. Just this past week, I, I had this thought. You know how Jesus summarizes the scripture? In this one moment in Matthew 22, he was approached by some of the religious leaders and they were trying to trap him. They would ask him questions, but really they were trying to trap him. And so in the midst of asking the question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus seems to be incapable of counting correctly because he says two commandments, almost three, really. He says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So and I used to think, wow, he, he lumped three into that one. Love God, love people as you love yourself. But it was this week that I had this realization. He was saying, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, the default for us as human beings is we already love ourselves. We don't need to be commanded to love ourselves. Like I said earlier, we think either too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. In both instances, we're thinking about ourselves. The default is loving ourselves. But what if we began to love others and be concerned about the interest of others just as we're concerned about our own interest. See, the scriptures tell us that, that heaven and hell already exist, and we actually make choices where we experience a glimpse of either. And when we step into a space of loving God and loving others, putting the interest of others above ourselves, we experience a glimpse of heaven. But when we step into selfishness, selfish ambition and pride. We become like the fool. We begin to experience darkness and the pain of isolation. The scriptures actually tell us in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And, and you can see this happening over the a course of a lifetime. When we are born, we are incredibly selfish. No offense to all the infants in the room. But all of us, when we're born, we can't help it. It's human nature. We are dependent on someone else to take care of us. So much so that we scream until we get what we need. And, and, and as we grow, little babies, very self-centered beautiful but self-centered little babies grow and we become middle schoolers. Have you ever hung out with middle schoolers? They're selfish and, and, and on their best days and, and their, their view of humanity is if you're like me then I like you and if not then you're stupid. 
Maybe you've heard the word ew, right? It comes up often in middle school hallways. But see, what happens is as we're growing, we're, we're growing away from selfishness towards selflessness. And what happens is as middle schoolers grow up, they become more willing to, to actually care for the interest of others. They're no longer the center of their universe. See, maturity is when you're no longer dependent on someone else. You actually become independent. And, and for many of us, we, we get married. And, and I, I've officiated so many weddings this fall. And they're always so beautiful. And it's always this great moment. But it's just a moment. So, so many times the, the romantic comedy ends with a wedding. That's when the romance and the comedy begins, in my opinion. And, and yet, what happens is, healthy marriages, you, you have to exercise these selfless muscles in ways that you've never had to before. And then guess what happens? You have one of those selfish infants. <laughs> and you have to become even more selfless in the middle of the night. Not just selfless on a date, not just selfless on vacation. You're selfless because they demand it of you. And what's really remarkable, the course for many of us is growing to become independent and then we become interdependent and then guess what happens? Eventually, the very people that took care of us when we were babies become the people that we have to take care of. It's a journey of selflessness. But I'm telling you, in the midst of dying to yourself, as Jesus calls us, that's how we find life. And every time we revert back to selfishness, we catch a glimpse of darkness. And so I want to give you just three corrective lenses to help you see things rightly, to get rid of the filter, to get rid of the blind spots. And the first is Jesus. The creator of the universe became a servant. The rest of Philippians goes on to tell us that Jesus became a servant, even to the point of giving up all of his rights and dying intentionally on the cross. But because he is God and the creator of the universe, he did not stay in the tomb, he rose from the dead. And if you have said, you know what, I follow after Jesus, then, then make sure in every area you follow after Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross daily. You know what that means? It doesn't mean put the cross necklace on. That's easy. Take up your cross daily means every day be willing to die to yourself. To be more devoted to the needs of other people than to your own needs. To trust him. Now, this does not mean being walked over. In fact, remember, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is actually have the courage to have a hard conversation with someone who may be taking advantage of us. That may be the way God wants you to die to self. But dying to self and beginning to measure everything you're doing through what would Jesus do? It's, a, it's another 80s reference, but it's a helpful one. Would Jesus post that on Facebook? Would Jesus send that text? If Jesus is leading you, you can actually allow him to lead you in every area of your life. Let him lead. Next week is a beautiful experience as we celebrate baptism, and it's, it's symbolic of dying to your old life and being raised to walk a new life. And my hope is, if you're here and you're saying, yes, I want to follow after Jesus, then that you will follow him by getting baptized. It's a beautiful experience, something we celebrate with you. But for those of us who've already said yes to Jesus, every time we see someone get baptized, it's a reminder to us, oh, that's right, I've died to myself. 
Because I'm telling you, our default is to love yourself, not your neighbor. Our default is to love ourselves and not to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second corrective lens is not only Jesus, but looking at the scriptures. Listen to what the scriptures say in Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Within the scriptures, you'll find a multitude of things that God has already revealed as true. We see God interacting with people throughout the centuries, and many times they make bad choices and we can learn from them. Or they make great choices and we can learn from them. But the scriptures have the power to illuminate our heart, our motives, and our life. See, the key to receiving the light that the scriptures offers is to approach it with humility. And just even praying, God, I'm not the most accurate assessor of my life. As I read this, please reveal the truth to me. Rather than just reading the Bible, there's this phrase of let the Bible read you. Gauge yourself from the scriptures. Maybe it's just starting with 15 minutes a day and just saying, God, speak to me. Maybe it's just reading a, a chapter from Proverbs once a day and moving forward. There's a great resource I want to encourage you to Google. Go and find the Bible Project. Great videos that give you the context for the different books of the Bible and all sorts of themes and even a podcast. But when we go to the scriptures, just ask God to reveal himself. Whether you believe in God or not, I'm telling you, if you go to the scriptures with an open heart and open mind, he will speak to you. Uh, my mentor, Erwin McManus, said it like this, the scriptures are a portal into God's presence. It's not just this ancient book. When we have an open heart and open mind, when we read it, asking God to speak, guess what he does? He speaks. I may have shared this story before, but... I had this moment with my neighbor. He backed his car into our house. And uh, yeah, it's a true story. Uh, and you might think, how did that happen? Well, he just, somehow he did it. And uh, he backed it into my house and I drove up and I could see like a part of my house crumbled on the ground. It was this kind of decorative side of the building. It was in Los Angeles and a little 900 square foot house and some of the square footage was on the ground. And so I... <laughs> I went and knocked on the door because it was obvious it had to have been hit as he was coming out. And we communicated and he said he was sorry and he was going to send his cousin over. I agreed, that sounds fine. And I went home and my wife didn't like the idea for some reason. She was like, well, who's his cousin? It's like, well, he's a plumber. Well, that's not what we need. <laughs> there is a crack in our children's bedroom. We live in California where there are earthquakes. We need this fixed by someone who's licensed and bonded and they know what they're doing. And I was like, yeah, but I already agreed. Like he said, <laughs> he'd send his cousin. What do I do? And she said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what you should do. And so that night, it was already too late to go back over there. And the next morning I woke up and I happened to be reading through the pro Proverbs, a chapter a day. And I, I started reading that morning. That was Proverbs chapter 6. And it literally said in Proverbs 6, verse 1, if you've made an agreement with your neighbor that you want to get out of, <laughs> go to him and ask to be released from your agreement. And I threw the Bible. <laughs> 
See, sometimes God speaks so clearly, and, and other times you have to keep diving, digging. It's like mining for gold. It may take days, but if you go to the scriptures and ask God to speak, he does it. By the way, when I went over and asked him, he agreed reluctantly and come to find out he had not wanted to get someone who knew what they were doing because he didn't want to report it to his insurance because he was already in a category where they would basically take away his license. And the tragic true story is he kept driving even though they took away his license and he died in a car wreck. He should not have been driving. And I think back to just a silly little moment. What if I had lacked the courage to go to him and his license had not been taken away? I would have felt somewhat responsible for not stepping in with courage to have the hard conversation. This older man should not have been driving. If he couldn't drive out of his driveway, what was he doing on the freeway? See, when we begin to trust God, when we begin to follow Jesus, when we begin to let the scriptures speak to us, we begin to see things more clearly. And there's a third and final lens, and that's community. You know, often we, we share with you and even try to encourage you that the best way to get connected is to start serving others with others, and we absolutely mean that. And here's the beautiful thing. When you start serving others with others, you do experience community at a whole new level. There are people who know you, people that you know, and suddenly they can speak into your life in ways that maybe no one else has. And you can speak into their life that we can actually help each other. And, and maybe it's, if it's not serving on Sunday, maybe it's serving with one of our networks that's serving in the city, our racial reconciliation network, or those that are serving the homeless on Saturday. Suddenly, you're doing a task together, but in doing so, you actually get to know each other. And maybe it's finding community in the, in the context of life group. We have life groups all over the city. Stepping into community can be exactly what you need. Proverbs 27 says it like this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This helps us step out of the shadows. But can I also say this? Not only does stepping into community and serving others with others help you, it actually helps us. There's actually people in this room who have kept coming because they love the tacos. Well, today, unfortunately, three of our five on the taco team couldn't make it. So today we don't have tacos. So I'm glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you to volunteer for the taco team. Because then you can have a free sample before the service starts. But I'm telling you, I, I'm just, there's no other way to say this. When you die to yourself... In serving others, Jesus promises that's when you find life. If you're in a relationship, whether it's at work or at home and things are struggling, I guarantee the filter has probably shifted. See, when I, when I stand in front of these couples and they make these vows, you can see it in their eyes. They mean it. And they want to meet the needs of the other person, but suddenly after years or Decades go by, suddenly it's not about meeting the needs of the other person, it's about they're not meeting my needs anymore. But when we serve each other and love each other selflessly, we experience a glimpse of heaven. So I want you to consider in this moment, what is your next step? 
Is it stepping into a deeper relationship with Jesus, saying yes to him for the first time, or, or maybe recalibrating so that you're actually allowing him to lead you every day throughout the day? Maybe it's allowing the scriptures to speak into your heart, to see yourself differently. Maybe it's stepping into community. Maybe it's for the first time saying, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll serve because I need people in my life. You know, we need to serve more than others need our help. Or maybe you've been serving and you realize, you know what, I, I can lead. I, I can be someone who oversees the lives of others and helps them along spiritually. Whatever that next step is, we want to invite you in these moments to lay down whatever's keeping you from the life that God has for you. Just lay it down. As this song begins, as they sing the song to us and over us, let these lyrics become true in your heart.